0: You're listening to the Trinity Ministries Podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. Imagine, uh, if you will, the scene of, a, of, a, of an accident, car accident. Um, and, and, and two, two men are, are having this conversation afterward after this car accident. And, and, the, and one says, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I feel great. I'm fine. And the other one says, "But you just had a car accident. You, you've got, you, you're bleeding. You look like you're hurt." No, no, I feel great. I feel fine. I'm fine. And the other one says, "You know, but the paramedics are here already. At, at the very least, uh, just to let them check you out. Take a moment. Let them check you out first And the man says, "No, I, I'm fine. I'm good. I know I'm fine." he calls his wife and he goes home and, he, and, and, and later that evening uh, unknowing to him um, he had internal bleeding and he died at, at, in, in, in the middle of the night but he was fine I'm going to uh, open that with this idea of saying there's nothing wrong with me There's nothing wrong with me can be a very dangerous uh, statement to make, especially for us Christians. Nothing wrong with me uh, can be a very dangerous statement to make because it goes fully against what God teaches. In fact, it's probably one of the worst things you could say. Um, There's nothing wrong with me because that's just incompatible. It's not a a Christian thing. Uh, It's unacceptable to God. In fact, 1 John tells us um, that... uh, Claiming that we're good and there's nothing wrong with me uh, would call God a liar. So what's the opposite of there's nothing wrong with me? Probably be something like, there's everything wrong with me. Everything is wrong with me. And according to the Bible, a Christian should probably be one that comes to the Lord and stands in front of God one day and says, God, there's everything wrong with me. A Christian, of course, is also somebody with smile and a confidence can also say, but Jesus has overcome my sin. Jesus has overcome my sin, and he's taken all these things that are wrong away from me. You know, today is Ash Wednesday. Uh, it's the first day of Lent. Um, my name is Jack Jorgensen. I, I have the privilege of, of leading uh, a ministry here at Trinity called The Cross, and it is a, uh, it's a, a privilege to see what I get to see every Wednesday. It's a privilege for me to stand up here. And I, I asked you to keep Todd, Pastor Todd, in prayer because he wasn't feeling well. And so it was a great honor for me to be given this opportunity to talk with you this evening. Um. So I thank you for being here. I thank for those of you that went down to eat soup. I thank you for those who donated soup, who went down and you, uh, uh, you enjoyed fellowship. You're here in fellowship. And I look out, and, and I, I know that you noticed how crowded it is in here and what a beautiful spot that is that we're at uh, Trinity downtown fellowshipping with brothers and sisters. And I, I, I imagine this to be uh, what occurs on a regular basis uh, very, very, very soon. Um, getting back to what is Lent, however, getting back to what is Lent. Um, what is it? You know, what's it all about? We find, we find the answer as we focus on a story that Jesus tells, and I just shared that, about two opposite people. One says, uh, there's nothing wrong with me. One says, uh, there's, uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with me, and the other one really kind of says, there's everything wrong with me. One of them represents what Lent isn't while the other one represents what Lent is. Tonight, as we focus on these two people, I'm hopeful that we seek to learn better what Lent really is and what it really means for us today. Jesus told this story to people who were confident that they were righteous. That's how it began. And, you, and you, these people that look down on everybody else because they were righteous. They were doing it all right. They were doing the things that, that they knew what to do. The, 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 the people, we, we say a Pharisee, for example. Uh, we look at two men. Two men went up to the temple. It was a Pharisee and a tax collector. And remember, those of you that know who Pharisees are, they, they are people who know the law. They are people who live a life that is clean. They are people, and they were people, uh, that, that followed wholeheartedly what the law said. But they got puffed up, I think, maybe. Um, think about the tax collector. Let's flip that around. Because these are people who, for a living, uh, took from others. That was their job. You know, they, they worked for the government, but at the same time, they always grabbed a little bit extra for themselves. And maybe even a lot extra sometimes. They intimidated. They took from others. Uh, they, they swindled. They, they had a pretty negative impact on, on lives, from what I've read but both of them came to church. Both of them went up to the temple uh, to pray. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed. And, and he, he prayed about himself. And he's like, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men out there. I thank you I'm not like other men. I'm not a robber, an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. I, I'm, not, I'm not even like this tax collector over here. We know how bad he is. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. You know, and we could probably sum this up, this prayer up as is, is him saying to God, God, I thank you that, that, uh, that there's nothing wrong with me. I thank you, there's nothing wrong with me. But maybe he was right, you know, maybe there wasn't a whole lot wrong with him. He sounded like he was a good citizen. Like I said, he certainly obeyed the law, likely lived a moral and upright life. He certainly did righteous things that we were supposed to do. He gave 10% of his wage. He he fasted as 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 was kind of as was instructed, and really, there likely it wasn't much wrong with him. He followed the rules, but then Jesus focuses on that tax collector in the story. Tax collector was the opposite of the Pharisee. He had been stealing money from the people his whole life. Likely ruining the lives of others and, and, and gaining a, a living to live it up on the sweat and, and blood and, and the backs of the people that he would take their money. And it's no question from the parable that Jesus shared that he knew that his whole life had been somewhat of a disaster. That he deserved to go to hell. That he deserved to go to hell when he died and, and there was no question about it. And Jesus says... A tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even walk up to the front of the temple. He had, he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He was so ashamed. He was so ashamed of his sin, but he just sat there and beat his chest, and he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God, have mercy on me. If we actually continue into Luke 18, at the end of it, there's a lot of mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. But he was the opposite. His prayer was the opposite of what the Pharisee uh, was praying, wasn't it? And maybe we could even sum his prayer up with, uh, he might sum his prayer up with something like, God, there's everything wrong with me. Please help me. Hmm. Jesus goes on to say that the sinful tax collector was the one who was forgiven by God that day. And not even the perfect Pharisee. And I wonder why that is. Jesus tells us in fact he says in there he says for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who exalts himself I'm sorry he who humbles himself will be exalted the Pharisees were proud Uh, they looked down upon others Uh, they 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 exalted themselves the Pharisee in, in our parable definitely exalted himself and the tax collector was humble he was sorry for his sin he was broken he was contrite and he knew there was something wrong much wrong and we wonder, what was Jesus really saying here during this parable? What was his point during this time? Is Jesus saying that you can earn your forgiveness of your sins by being humble? He's saying, look at how humble that tax collector is. Oh, the tax collector deserves to be forgiven because he's so very humble. Is that how it works? Got to be humble. And, you know, I I think that's sometimes we get confused because that's what a lot of people think. If I'm really, really humble, um, I know God will forgive me. If I'm really, really uh, brought to the Lord and I'm brought to my knees, I I, I know God will forgive me. And um, I don't know that that's the truth. In fact, what I read, um, if, if, if that were the way that God were forgiving us, then our salvation would be completely up to us, then wouldn't it? It's not up to us. It's not dependent on you. Uh, in fact, uh, it's not dependent on how, how humble you are. It's not dependent on your humility. Because if it were, then you could never really be sure if you've been forgiven by God or not. You could never be sure. Because you wouldn't know if you, were, if you had gone low enough or not. I, did I humble myself enough this time? Did I get on my knees? Did I, did I put my face in the carpet and, 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 and apologize and, and just be totally, how low do I have to go to get forgiven, God? Because he, he might be getting, he's a little bit lower than I am. And the truth of the matter is that neither the Pharisee uh, nor the tax collector, nor you, nor me, um, deserved forgiveness of sin. The Pharisee didn't because he was conceited and self-righteous. And he thought he was better than everybody else. And he thought he was perfect. Of course, the tax collector didn't either because he just led an evil life. Everything about what he was doing was, was, was evil and wrong. He had a terrible life. So neither one deserved to be forgiven by God. I'm glad that that's now how it works because God forgives people purely out of his mercy. As a result of this undeserved love for us. God forgives people. God forgives people because Jesus uh, Christ has taken away all the sins of the world. Because of that sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, the sacrifice that we will go ahead and and we will honor in the coming weeks, because of that sacrifice, it, it cleansed the world of all sin. And he offers forgiveness to each one of us. And in this story, God offered forgiveness to both the Pharisee and the tax collector. He offered that forgiveness. But only the tax collector received God's forgiveness. Why? Uh, because in his mercy, God chooses to forgive only those who humble themselves before him. I think about this and I bring it back to what I get to teach on thir- on, on Wednesdays. And I talk, uh, uh, you know our our theme this year is, is to be third. We put God, our Father, in, in, in the forefront of, of all things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And then we put the love of others uh, in, uh, in in the service of others in front of ourselves, which makes us third. Because God chooses to forgive those who humble themselves before Him, because in humbling ourselves before Him we honor Him. Those who stand before God and say, "There's everything wrong with me, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner." Those humble people who recognize their sin, forgive, recognize their need for God's help. Those are the people who receive God's forgiveness. And not because they're earning it by groveling. Not because uh, of any other thing, but because God shows undeserved love to each one. Undeserved love to all who are humble and sorry. All who repent. God shows us love. And this humble tax collector, uh, the humble tax collector, if you probably figured out, is, is a picture of Lent. This proud Pharisee is the opposite of Lent. So which one are you? How will you observe Lent this year? Some of us go, well, I'm going to give up this, and you just fill in the blank. I'm going to give up this. I'm going to go down this road. I'm going to, I'm going to choose to give up this thing for Lent. And, and that, that's, how, that's how we choose to honor a, a Lenten process or being extra religious. And many people observe Lent that way. Um, they might say, maybe I'll give, uh, I'm no longer going to watch this TV show. Or I've had students who say, I'm not going to watch this type of movie anymore. I'm not going to listen to this type of music anymore. Not, not for Lent. I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent. I know some that have said, I'm going to give up Snapchat for Lent. I'm going to give up Facebook for Lent. Ensuing so, I wonder if they're also saying, look how religious I am, because I'm going to do these things for Lent. I bet you it makes God extra happy if I refrain from eating the chocolates. God's going to be extra happy with me. Or listeners are watching those certain TV shows. I'm just to, uh, so is, is Lent a time of self denial? Is that what we do? That's what Lent's all about. Um, this evening, as I was reading the, the gospel uh, coming from Luke, Jesus was speaking to all of us through His Word, and He tells us He tells us that Lent is a time of uh, of self denial. It's a time to give up something. It's a good thing. It's time to give up something. Um, but Jesus, I don't think, is concerned about whether or not we're eating chocolate or getting on Facebook. I don't think that's what he's focused on. He's concerned about what's going on in our hearts. Lent is a time to give up those sins um, that haunt us in our lives. Lent is a time that we do, to do things that we know uh, we should be doing differently. In fact, Pastor Tim, this... this. Uh, um, for, for chapel today you, you know what you did you know what you did it was, it was a reminder we we're always reminded you know what you did and we know what we do Lent is a time um, Lent, Lent, Lent is a time um, to, to give up some of those sins but it's also a time to give up that sin uh, I think of a couple of specifics the sin of hypocrisy is one acting like a Christian on the outside but being proud and self-centered on the inside Give that one up. Lent is a time to give up that sin of, of, of a double life. I go to church and I act this way, and I you wouldn't know if I was a believer any other day of the week, but Sunday I'm going to church. Lent is a time to give up that sin. Lent is also a time to give up the sin of complacency. This I, I'm good enough. It's good enough. Uh, this this is going to be okay. You know, someday I'll get my act together spiritually. But right now, I just don't have the time for that. I got better things to do. My priorities. I'm sorry, they just don't involve church right now. I've, I've got these things going. You just you just name the list. I think Lent Lent is a time to give up that sin. So what is Lent? Lent is. There's that man who stood in the back of the temple and looked down to the ground, and he prayed to God and he said, "Lord, Lord, have mercy on me because I am a sinner." Lend us for the, a time for us to be like that man, to give up our sinful habits, our sinful attitudes, to stand before God and to ask Him to forgive us and to wash away our sins, and to empower us to turn away from the sinful past and to live our lives new, dedicated to the Lord dedicated to god i tell the kids at the cross all the time to be third just to dedicated to do that be third but god first put the needs of others in front of your own that makes you third and it's a good way to be so after we lay our sins before christ um lent is also a time to give up our guilty feelings though so yes there's going to be some happiness here we give away our guilty feelings uh, just as that tax collector walked home and he was justified before God. He didn't carry a big burden with him and, and sulk for the rest of his days. That Jesus didn't tell us that. He, uh, he, he was justified. He walked home. And, and, and he was fully in knowledge that he had been forgiven. I no longer have to feel guilty about those sins. I no longer have to beat myself up about the way I've been living. I no longer have to do those things because I have truly been forgiven. Truly been forgiven. And what a gift that is. My sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. It says it all over in our Bibles. I I hope we're reading those. I can start over. And I can work hard to be someone who obeys God someone who worships God every day, with the, with the life that I live, I can, I can start over and start focusing on God and the needs of others. So Lent, I believe, is an attitude. It's an attitude of honesty and humility as we confess our sins to God, but Lent is also an attitude of joy. It's an attitude of joy, it's an attitude of relief because we know who we are in Christ, because we know who we are Knowing that our sins have been forgiven and that our Lord has totally wiped clean any sort of slate of documentation that may have been there. Totally clean. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible tells us. How beautiful is that? So in these next 40 days, um, there are time for us to be looking deep into our hearts and I ask you to think about your life and how you've been living it and what sin are you going to give up for Lent not so what sin you're going to give up for Lent but what sin you're going to give up for the rest of your life how will you make a change and in a short time we'll come up and we'll put ashes on foreheads and that's a beautiful moment and we receive uh, the Lord's Supper and that's my favorite part of any service and um, because there's such forgiveness in that but I'm going to ask you when you go back to your seat let it be a time of just you and God, and I ask you to just lay something down. Release something. Say, God, I'm committed to giving this up. Release something. And feel good when you do. Because Jesus promises to empower you to live a new life that will glorify the Lord. And if people want to temporarily give up things as a sign of uh, for Lent and And the sign of their love for a Savior, I guess that's fine. It's just what we do. We've come to know that in our culture. But I believe that what Christ is really concerned about is what is in our hearts. I believe that what Christ is really concerned about is is, is how we are living our lives and what is in our hearts. And tonight we begin that long walk toward the cross uh, that we get to see on Easter Sunday, the conclusion of that. But as we're on that long walk, we see just how serious and terrible our sins are, that it required the death of God's Son. But we also see how wonderful and deep our Savior's love is for us during that time. The road doesn't end there, um, but it ends at an empty tomb. Because Jesus rises from the dead to prove once and for all that all of our sins have been forgiven. Jesus lives. All of our sins have been forgiven. And so... As I conclude here, as I conclude here, I ask that uh, that may God bless your journey to the cross. May He bless you. May He make His face shine on you. May He give you peace as you go out and as you serve, as you do those things, as you put the Lord first, as you as you read, as you pray. I give you thanks for all that because it's just again uh, an incredible, incredible spot to stand here right now and to see uh, each person in here loving, coming to opportunity to be together in repentance, but also in the joy of forgiveness. Let's pray. Holy Father, I am so humbled by spot spot that... that we get to take your word and share it with others. Father, I ask you to convict each one here. I ask you to convict each one of us with a, with a determination to release and relieve something. and I ask you to bless each one as they do that. I ask you to bless them with a weight lifted and the confidence of in no, the knowledge that you that you send your Holy Spirit alongside us to guide us in that in that in that decision because we can't do it alone. God, we are broken. Everything about us is broken, Father, and we know that we can only do things through you. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this evening. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.